Welcome to the Women's Fitness and Health Revolution podcast. There is so much noise on the interweb these days about what women should and shouldn't be doing when it comes to their fitness and health. Not only is it all too often tied to shame and fixing our bodies, it can also be incredibly detrimental to our health and wellness overall. The Women's Fitness and Health Revolution podcast sorts through the BS and offers advice and actionable tactile steps to support and build a better relationship to your amazing body through every stage of womanhood. It aims to break the cycle of keeping women in the dark about their extraordinary machines and revolutionize the way we move, eat, and live so that our daughters and our daughter's daughters look in the mirror and feel exactly what they are. Fierce, beautiful, and capable of everything. The revolution starts here. Hello, 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 my friends, and happy February, because that's happening. Where did January go? Nobody knows, but what a month it was. Welcome to the Women's Fitness and Health Revolution podcast in our first of the new month. And we have got a juicy one today. Our perimenopause prep checklist for women in their 30s and 40s. And I am so excited, I actually cannot even. But before we dive in, a quick note, the sound may be a little different. I am out and about in the world and I do not have my gear, so if there is a crunch or two, please stay with me. It also happens, of course, to be one of the three days of the year it's raining in La La Land, so if you can hear rain in the background, <clears throat> let's just uh, enjoy the ambiance, shall we? I promise this episode is going to be so worth it. Also, before we dive in, this is so exciting. We are officially in the runway for our next session of Strength Foundations for Women. That's my three-month signature group coaching offer, which is designed to help you start strength training for the first time or as a returnee to fitness who's scratching their head at where and how to get restarted. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you care about your health and feel, probably you want to feel the best that you can in your mind, body, and spirit. It's also possible that you've been thinking about or maybe even planning to start working out for a while, but it just hasn't quite happened yet. Or if you were like I used to be, maybe you keep stopping and starting exercise and maybe you just haven't found what works for you yet. Whatever the case is, Strength Foundations for Women is designed to help you walk away with consistency in your workouts, confidence navigating the gym and most common movement patterns, so squats, deadlifts, planks, etc., with good, beautiful, optimal form, sharing nutritional information and advice, and a plan for success you can actually maintain once the program is done. So both the workouts and the education so that you have autonomy in your health and fitness. So please jump on that commitment-free interest list in the bio for early enrollment access and bonuses so that you don't miss out on the limited spots. We keep this one a little bit smaller because there is a, quite a bit of one or group coaching. We aren't running this puppy again until September. And remember, the sooner that we can get started with strength training, the better. You and your health are so worth it. But without further ado, shall we dive into all things perimenopause prep? I hope you say that. I gotta tell you what, it would be absolutely messed up with me if I dove into this without first giving a big old shout out of gratitude to the ovulators who came before us because they truly paved the way 
through the wild freaking west of women's health. No, 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 no. It is by no means perfect in any way, shape, or form today, but at least we've heard of perimenopause. I was having a conversation with a friend who is in her 50s the other day who was sharing with me her experience of going through perimenopause. And she likened it to wearing a blindfold and being bound at the wrists when it came to feeling like she had any information or power in her transition. Heck, she didn't even know she was in perimenopause until the very end. Not to mention, she was among the last iterations of women where it was just blatantly accepted that hormone replacement therapy was dangerous. Why? All thanks to a study in 2002 that upon re-examination by thousands, if not tens of thousands of researchers and practitioners, decidedly not only used participants who were already post-menopause, so well through their perimenopause transition, but were already also at a higher risk for the disorders they were testing for. Luckily, there are troves of much smarter folks and practitioners than myself working with women to change the narrative to that reality. That HRT is actually an excellent option for many women. And this is, of course, always based on a case-by-case basis. But even today, the information that HRT actually has far more benefits than negative for the general pop, that information is still crawling into light. And the general population, including many doctors, are still relying on the botched data. There are so many wonderful podcasts out there that I highly recommend to listening with hormone experts or women who are doctors like Stephanie Estima does a really wonderful podcast on it. Gabrielle Lyon dives into it. JJ Virgin talks about it. So there's all sorts of resources out there for you to deep dive, and I highly recommend it. But among many of the counter-arguments out there, a research paper published on PubMed by two Italian professors through their OBGYN unit at their university put it quite succinctly in their abstract, and I feel like it covers it pretty well. So for today, that's what we're gonna, I'm going to share with you. After the announcement, they say, of the first results of the Women's Health Initiative in 2002, which showed that HRT had more detrimental than beneficial effects, HRT use dropped. The negative results of the study received wide publicity, creating panic among some users and new guidance for doctors on prescribing HRT. The clear message from the media was that HRT had more risks than benefits for all women. In the following years, reanalysis of the WHI trial was performed, and new studies showed that the use of HRT in younger women or in early postmenopausal women had a beneficial effect on cardiovascular system, reducing coronary disease, and all-cause mortality. Notwithstanding this, the public opinion on HRT has not changed yet, leading to important negative consequences for women's health and quality of life. Like I said, wild freaking west. The point is, if you are in your 30s and 40s and haven't entered menopause yet, our foremothers, through their struggles, have given us a gift the gift of information, and the gift of finally starting to study not only what happens in our bodies during perimenopause, but how we can plan to set ourselves up for potentially an easier, less frustrating transition. But before we dive into ways to prep, let's do a fast and dirty recap. Because while we're talking about it, 
there's, it might still be a new concept. So what, what is perimenopause? Perimenopause <clears throat> is the transition period between having a regular menstrual cycle and menopause. And personally, this is the phase that I feel like I never heard spoken of until I started doing research to help my perimenopausal clients navigate their fitness and nutrition in their ever-changing bodies. This phase can start as early as 35, but generally starts in our mid-40s. It can last up to 10 years, with the majority of our symptoms joining the party four to five years out from menopause. So these are, you know, good old hot flashes, night sweats, headaches, weight gain, etc., etc. The list goes on and on. My friend that I talked to talked about having vertigo. I've heard people talk about having spicy mouth, which personally I'm just very curious about. But as ladies, we are born with a limited number of eggs in our ovaries. During perimenopause, our eggs are starting to run out. Our estrogen, bless it, still shows up to the job to get our body ready for an egg release. But if we don't drop an egg that month, there's no progesterone released, which is our sleepy, feel good, keep us safe, namaste hormone. And it comes to help chill out estrogen. This leads to a hormone imbalance, and that leads to a whole lot of different symptoms, like we talked about. During this time, and generally a pretty good indication that we've arrived in perimenopause, our periods become irregular. This can look like heavy bleeding for longer periods of time or not bleeding at all for months. Remember, we're talking very generalized here. Different women have very different experiences. These are just broad strokes so we can get an idea of what we're looking at. Menopause itself, which comes after perimenopause, signifies the end of this perimenopause phase, and it's simply when we go 12 full months without a period. One of the most common themes that I hear from my clients in perimenopause is they feel disconnected from the body they lived in in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s. Things that worked for them before have suddenly stopped working. Oftentimes, this can look like feeling out of control with their emotions, having serious fatigue and brain fog, weight gain around their midsection, to name a few, without making any changes to their diet and exercise. This is because our hormones are all over the place during this time. You probs remember this from science or health class? I sure did not. And it makes me wonder if I ever learned it? Debatable. But it's possible your memory is much better than mine. To recap, our sex hormones, like progesterone and estrogen, in our fertile years are tied to ovulation and the release of an egg. When this becomes less and less regular, we, as we arrive to that final egg count and perimenopause before all of our eggs be gone, our hormones are out of whack because we aren't ovulating monthly. As a result, we start to rely more heavily on our adrenals for hormone production. Enter how we can start preparing for a slightly more seamless or at the very least gentler transition. So grab your pens, because the first item on our perimenopause prep checklist is, drumroll please, to figure out your stress management now, before the extra tax to our adrenals takes place. Yeah, I am coming out the gate with a bang. And it's also a good opportunity before we get all the way into this to say, this checklist is going to take adjustments on our part. Just like any new habit or health goal, things in our lives will probably have to shift. So I invite you to listen today with an open mind, trying not to feel overwhelmed, and starting to think of where you can make small shifts to start slowly implementing these changes. 
And remember, the fact that we can start making these adjustments before our hormones are in flux is truly a beautiful gift. Slow and steady wins the race. You are worth it. So stress management, huh? I heard a doozy of a quote recently from JJ Virgin where she pointed out, stress is not a badge of honor. It is a fast track to feeling really crappy. Chances are, I don't need to tell you this, but I feel like it deserves constant reminders and I need constant reminders. But we live in a society that has allowed itself to fall prey to a burnout mentality. We get accolades for putting our work before our health, but the second we fall short, we are reminded that we can be replaced. This is especially true for women in the workplace. We are constantly in positions of having to prove our value while continuing to walk a fine line of not being too betchy, demanding, difficult, or my favorite, shrill. I still remember when a man I co-owned a gym with in Los Angeles told me during a strategy meeting that it was hard for him to listen to my tone of voice. Ah, the good old days of the not that long ago. If you watched Barbie this year, America Ferreira's speech knocks this concept out of the park. And if you haven't seen it, congratulations. You have some very fun homework. The point is, JJ Virgin's quote hit me hard because I spent years of my life, most of my life, wearing stress as a badge of honor. Not only did I not only did it keep me exhausted and on the edge and pretty alone, it kept me small. There is very little room for self-esteem and growth when you're constantly running on empty and on behalf of someone else. It's taken a lot of self-work for me to unravel my sense of self from my contribution to the workforce. And TBH, it can still be a daily practice, but stress is a proven killer. And no one is going to save it from, or save you from it, but you. And it only compounds as we get older and get that double whammy of no longer producing progesterone, our feel-good hormone, and starting to lean into our adrenals for hormone production. Not to mention, unchecked levels of cortisol lead to increased fat storage at the midsection, which is why so many humans have trouble losing weight when they're quote unquote doing everything right, but are all kinds of stressed and now even more stressed because they aren't losing weight even though they're putting all the work in. So stress management for so many reasons is queen. This looks very different for all of us. I personally have tried meditation for years and I will keep trying, but personally, for me, a walk outside in the sun, yoga, reading a book, laughing with my loved ones, these all work a little bit better for me at this time in my life. I invite you to start finding what works for you. Remember, stress management doesn't mean that you're never gonna feel stress again. Life has incredible ups and it has incredible downs. Stress management just means that we have a toolkit to help cope when the lows inevitably come knocking on our doors. It means that we're able to find balance in our life, that when we get home from work and we close our laptop for the day, we're able to truly unplug. It means falling asleep with ease at the end of the night, which conveniently brings me to checklist item two, working on sleep hygiene. I know, I know. It's another one that is easier said than done, but so worth the doing. 
but it can be especially difficult, I hear you, if you have little ones at home. However, the amount of health issues tied to lack of sleep is through the roof. For example, our bodies become more insulin resistant after just one night of missed sleep. Insulin sensitivity is a big thing when it comes to perimenopause because as we travel through it and have lower levels of estrogen, we naturally become more insulin resistant, which not only contributes to weight gain, but also metabolic disorders like diabetes and heart disease. There are so many reasons sleep can be an issue. Like I mentioned, lack of stress management can definitely play into that, but I cannot recommend it enough that you explore the reasons you are having issues with sleep especially before perimenopausal night sweats kick in. I think it's easy to feel really alone in these moments when you have sleep issues. It can really be linked to anxiety and depression, both of which can feel very isolating. So before I keep going, I do want to go a little off script just to say you're not alone. I've worked, I'm not a sleep expert, but I've had a lot of clients who have struggled with sleep and have found solutions that have helped bring it back in their life. So please do not hesitate to reach out to a practitioner. There is a way through this. You deserve it. You can find help, and I promise you'll feel so much better. Personally, I am prone to a spinning mind. I have started tracking my period, and I find that different times in my cycle, I'm a little bit more prone to insomnia. And in those moments, what keeps me up at night is that mind spin. The second I close my eyes, my brain lights up with a million and eight things that sometimes stress me the H out and sometimes they just keep me up. They literally are nothing. I just can't stop thinking about them. A friend mentioned the other day on a walk that sometimes she goes to bed with a song stuck in her head, which is nothing sinister on the surface. But once that loop hits hour three of trying to fall asleep, we've got a problem. And boy, oh boy, do I relate to that one. Literally happened to me last week. Personally, I have found therapy to be very helpful with my sleep issues and also the sleep tracking. It, sleep tracking, this is a little off script again, so bear with me. Sleep or period tracking for me has been very helpful because when I get moments of insomnia, nights of insomnia, I can feel really stressed and feel like, oh my gosh, that's it. My sleep is messed up because I used to really struggle with insomnia. So I kind of get like PTSD around when I used to not be able to sleep at all. Tracking my period and keeping an eye on what parts of my phases I'm more prone to insomnia help me to prepare. And they also help me feel a little bit more at ease because I know, okay, this is just something that happens at this time of my cycle. It's not the new me. I will start sleeping in a couple days and it just brings a little bit of ease and recognition into my life. But it also helps to have therapy. Working through things, especially when it's a spinning mind, is how we help to let them go and clear space for ourselves. Some other practical tips that I've received have included keeping a journal by my bed so I can jot things down and get them out of my head. To be honest, I haven't really tried that one, but I can definitely see how it would be helpful, so I wanted to share it in case this just happens to be the key to better success for you. Tools that I use and have been working really well for me have been asking myself in the moment of that spinny brain, is there anything I can do about this right now? And if the answer is no, something about that clarity gives me enough peace of mind that it helps me fall asleep. I sort of am able to let that go for now. Meditation and practice 
the practice of grounding myself in the moment with breath have also been helpful, which is why even though I'm bad at meditation, I like to have that skill because it's becoming more and more commonplace for me when I'm having trouble sleeping to take it back to my breath and just focus on inhales and exhales. And this is a big one. I cut back on caffeine. I thought I had caffeine managed. I was drinking way less than I did in my 20s. I I was kind of out of control of caffeine in my 20s. Not to mention, not only did I cut way, 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 way back, we're talking like two cups of coffee in the morning and a Celsius before 2 p.m. That, that was my way back cut. But for me, that was a big one. But not only had I cut back, I never touched a drop of coffee, Celsius, not even tea after 2 p.m., when I started cutting out my pre-workout, I was shocked by how quickly I started falling asleep. It was the first time that when I set my head down to my pillow, I was asleep within minutes, which is truly a brand new thing for me. So that might be something exploring. Let me say I did not cut caffeine out completely. I love coffee, but I have cut back. Sleep disorders are nothing to be ashamed of, and they are all too common, but your health depends on a good night's sleep. Please do yourself a favor and talk to a professional to strategize better sleep because it doesn't have to be this way. One natural way that a lot of women start to sleep better, and it just happens to be number three on our checklist, start strength training. Who saw that coming? Lean muscle is our longevity organ. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon coined it. I say it every episode because it's the truth. Estrogen is very metabolically protective for us ovulators. As our estrogen declines, having lean muscle mass already in place can take the brunt of that burden for two main reasons. One, it's more calorically expensive. And two, it helps with insulin sensitivity. The kicker, estrogen helps us build lean muscle mass. And after the age of 30, we're already starting to lose lean muscle mass at a rate that only accelerates as we transition through menopause. But strength training can help halt the loss of lean muscle and even start adding muscle back on. And that goes not just for this phase of our life, but for all phases, including post-menopause. But to my ladies who aren't in perimenopause yet, this is your sign to start training now. Building muscle is like investing in a retirement account. The more lean muscle you have as you enter perimenopause, the better. The easier it will be when you get there to build and sustain lean muscle mass while you're in perimenopause and beyond, the better your digestion and insulin sensitivity will be, the less likely you will be to store excess fat around the mid area, and it also releases those feel-good hormones that can help assist with sleep. So please don't wait until you're exhausted, hot flashing, and going through it in perimenopause to try adding fitness to that ever-spinning plate of perimenopause. Please, 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 please don't wait. Invest in your body. Invest in your health now, and I promise you will see massive payouts through perimenopause and beyond. And I have to take a hot moment because I need to call out a disservice that my industry has done for the general public. Instead of widely leaning into the fact that strength training and building lean muscle mass is actually a key to unlocking better aging, one of the biggest atrocities committed by the fitness industry was when it hyper-focused on weight loss above all else 
it completely hijacked the narrative about the benefits of fitness in order to make a quick buck selling supplements, programs, and often unachievable or at least unsustainable quick fix outcomes based on shame. Not only did it cause people to hyper fixate on where their body was wrong, trying to constantly fix it and lose weight as opposed to working with their body and exploring the endless other deeper, crucial health benefits of a consistent lifelong fitness routine. It also emphasized quick fixes versus lifestyle and all the wrong styles of training when it comes to sustainable results and healthy aging, especially, especially as it pertains to women. There was a deeply sexist line that somehow got drawn where cardio, aerobics, bar, and other like forms of training were tied to thinness and femininity. And strength training got tied to bulking and masculinity. I will say one of the things that the interweb has done right, and I'm seeing a lot more of, at least in my little pocket of it, is stressing the fact that lifting on its own does not make you bulk. It takes so much work to bulk and intentional dialed in feeding. But I know and completely respect that there is still a big fear out there around this, so let me just address this now. If you are new to fitness, or newly back, or a cardio goddess who is worried that you'll bulk, start with body weight strength training. No weights, just body weight. For a while, this is going to be enough resistance to start causing that adaptation in your muscle tissue. Not crazy bulk, but the development of lean muscle mass. If you're afraid of bulking, I invite you to shift your worries towards thinking about what happens in the absence of lean muscle tissue. Worse digestion, insulin resistance, skeletal problems, weakened immune system, lack of emotions and hormones, regulation, weight gain, to name a few. Try strength training for just a little while. If you are truly unhappy with the physical results after a few months, please hit me up directly on Insta at kinsey.does.the.fitness and let's troubleshoot together. But please, please, please do not sacrifice your health based on an old fallacy. You and your one precious life are just too important. In this day and age, the majority of folks I know who set out on a weight loss journey lean into cardio. While there is absolutely a place for cardio in a workout plan, this is not the style of exercise that is going to cause muscle adaptations and increase bone density, both of which are incredibly important in perimenopause and aging as humans. In fact, in isolation, cardio has shown, been shown to have negative effects on sustaining lean muscle, especially when coupled with calorie slashing. If this sounds like you, there is no shame. I am not shaming you. I was 100% in the same boat. How could there be shame? Especially considering it is still very widely touted cardio and under eating as the main avenue to weight loss by programs and coaches who base their training and diet solely on calories in, calories out. And oftentimes the calories out are determined by wearables like Apple Watches, Fitbits, etc. I humbly recommend popping back to episode six of this podcast, The Truth About Weight Loss, Fat Loss Versus Fat Strength Gain. Because as always, having a weight loss goal is a perfectly viable goal and one that many people share. Your body is your own and whatever you want to do for it is 100% your choice and I am here for you. But the best way to lose weight is not through more cardio and calorie slashing. It's through added strength training. 
And I would argue that other benefit, the other benefits that come hand in hand with strength training far outweigh a drop in pant size for a lot of folks. And the kicker is strength training is actually going to be what sustains that drop in pant size after you've reached it. So in terms of staying fitness, or excuse me, in terms of staying consistent over a lifetime, the folks I see moving their body for strength and feeling good have an easier time staying consistent with fitness in the long term, which after all is our goal with fitness. That's right, ladies. I want to see you lifting weights and being a baddie into your 80s, 90s, and beyond. After watching thousands of clients go through the process of starting a fitness program and either sticking with it or stopping, I've come to realize that the big difference in sustainability comes from the creation of a lifestyle around fitness versus what most weight loss programs promise, a quick one-time fix, which if you're like me and have yo-yo dieted for much of your life, no is simply never the case. A quick word on this, again, I am by no means saying your life has to be fitness all of the time, and I am certainly not telling you to overexercise. That, my friends, is the opposite of helpful. Remember, stress and adrenal fatigue are very bad. I'm talking two to five days a week for 30 to 60 minutes. Sustainable fitness is fitness that fits in a balanced way into the rest of your amazingly rich life. It's one piece of a totally awesome puzzle. As with all of this, find what works for you. And guess what? At the end of this February, we open enrollment for our next round of Strength Foundations for Women. Ooh, ah, it would be an absolute honor to help you learn how to carve out that space for strength training in your life and get consistent with your fitness goals. So jump on that interest list in the bio and take the guesswork out of making fitness part of your lifestyle once and for all. So next up on our perimenopause checklist is getting your protein dialed in. Do I sound like a broken record? See, on paper, being healthy is pretty darn easy. It's the putting it into practice that gets real tricky and sticky. Remember how I said we start to lose lean muscle mass after the age of 30? Strength training is how we cause adaptation in our muscles. Protein is how we repair and build them. Experts agree that aiming for one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight is the goal to shoot for. But starting out, trying to get 100 grams a day of quality leucine-rich protein is an excellent place to start. This topic runs really deep, and we will more than likely dive deep into protein in the near future. There are also incredible experts out there. I mentioned them before. Gabrielle Lyon is amazing, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Uh, Stephanie Estima is great. There, are, I'm happy to recommend more. Drop a line to me on my uh, Instagram DM at kinsey.does.thefitness, and I will share them with you 100%. But for right now, a great place to start is bouncing back to episode eight of this podcast, Protein powder. Do we? Don't we? Help! Piggybacking on this and next on our checklist is working to stabilize your blood sugar and healing your gut. So this is a little bit higher level and I'm going to send you to an expert to learn more about this. Her name is Erin Holt of the Functional Nutrition Podcast, Functional with a K. She is incredible and has 
amazingly informational and fun to listen to podcasts about blood sugar regulation that are truly must listens. I 10 out of 10 recommend searching her podcast, Functional, that's with a K, Nutrition, and searching and listening to anything that has to do with blood sugar. Erin Holt, Functional Nutrition. She has a great easy way to search her page, look for blood sugar, and honestly listen to everything else that she has because she is a proper hero when it comes to women's hormonal health. But for today, an action item that doesn't include listening to another long podcast, although she has some bite-sized ones that are rad too, is a great way to get started is moving away from processed foods, aka 75% of our grocery store. Think things that have long shelf lives and starting to move towards nutrition that relies on whole foods. So things that go bad in five to seven days. Well-sourced meats, fruits, veggies, healthy starches like potatoes and yams, healthy fats like clarified butter, avocados and olive oil, thinking the outside edges of the grocery store. The more real food you eat, the better your health. Just like all the things we've talked about up until this point, it is going to take time from shifting away from the ultra-processed standard American diet. And it actually, in some ways, can be a little bit more challenging than some of the stuff we mentioned before because there are things like added flavors, even natural flavors, sugars, and zero-cal sweeteners that have ruined our palates and can make eating real food feel less appetizing and delicious. These additives have changed our brain chemistry and the way that we react and respond to food. The Food Babe, Vani Hari, has a must-read book, Feeding Us Lies, that goes into the insanity and straight-up criminal practice that is our food industry and the way they dose our foods with these additives that leave us hungry, unhealthy, and inflamed, and oftentimes obese. She also is on Instagram as The Food Babe, and she does a really good job of giving alternatives to more popular processed foods and how to find the healthier version, so I really recommend checking her out on Instagram. But the takeaway is this. Please give yourself time to transition back to meals that are mostly real, multicolored foods. Your body will thank you, and your hunger cues will begin to regulate because you'll actually be getting the, nu- the nutrients you'll need. These tend to be the sorts of things that I find we take for granted before our hormones shift, and things that when I've talked to clients in perimenopause or menopause say they never really thought about until they were in it. But once we reach perimenopause, while it is absolutely possible to regulate blood sugar and heal our gut, it just takes more effort. In that same interview I referenced a little bit, a little ways back in the beginning of this episode, JJ Virgin also said, our margin for error when we hit 40 gets a lot smaller. So finally, our last checklist item, and thank you for staying with me because this is a longer one, but ooh, I told you it was juicy. Start tracking your period. I've been tracking my period in a period tracker app for years and it's been great. It's let me see that I am regular with my period and as someone who does have a history of eating disorders and having come off the pill in my early 20s, getting my period to a state of regularity was a huge, a a huge deal for me. But I just started following Maisie Hill, author of Period Power, who I often reference. She is amazing. Her advice. And now I track in my notes app. And every day I write just a couple things. I write what day of my cycle I'm in and one or two words to describe my mood. So not only do I get 
insight into the regularity of my period, I can also start planning around my period and how I feel energetically and emotionally around my various phases. Remember how I said earlier on that this has been something that's really let me find peace of mind when it comes to my bouts of insomnia, because now I can look back and see, oh my gosh, I'm in day 25. This is where I always have insomnia. I know this too shall pass. Also, if I'm feeling generally pretty hopeless on day one and two of my cycle, which is the start of my period, which tends to be my trend, that may be a very good time to make plans to stay in, lessen my client load, and focus on self-care if possible. However you decide to track, though, it is incredibly important because period regularity is a huge indicator of our overall health as fertile humans. Irregular periods during our fertile years are indications of major underlying health issues. But it also is really helpful because it plays a major role in letting us know when we've entered perimenopause. Remember, our periods will become more erratic and less predictable. And when we hit menopause, menopause is simply that phase of 12 consecutive months with no period. So we get information and awareness around our bodies. So we can advocate to healthcare professionals for what we need. We can take care of ourselves. We can make choices on how to nourish our bodies. It's We become our own best friend and biggest advocate when we have information about our bodies. So there it is, our perimenopause prep checklist, ladies. One, get stress management under control. Two, clean up sleep hygiene. Three, start strength training. Four, Normalize eating protein and a lot of it. Five, stabilize blood sugar and heal your gut. Six, start tracking your period. I know this can feel like an impossible task, but we do not have to do it all at once. In fact, I would recommend not doing it all at once. Just like all important changes, we take things one goal at a time, one day at a time. And the sooner you start, the more time you'll have to implement these small changes over time. Start exploring one or two things that help you manage stress or start strength training. Heck, jump in at the end of the month with Strength Foundations for Women and take the work out of it and let me do the work for you. Talk to your doctor about better sleep. Download an app to track your period or use the Notes app. Aim to get protein at every meal. Pick something and stick with it until it becomes a no-brainer and then move to the next item. You and your body are so freaking worth it. And trust me, future you thanks you from the bottom of their heart. As always, thank you beyond thank you. I am so grateful for your ears today, especially with a slightly longer ep. You freaking rock. If you got something out of our chat today and liked what you heard, it means the world to me when you like, review, and share this podcast. It's the best way to spread the word about the podcast and get this kind of info to women everywhere so they too can start prepping for a gentle transition through perimenopause and beyond. Here's to being healthy, happy, and strong. Thank you again. Until next time, Raiders. Ah, Aroo!